folks, we are uh, going through First Peter. We're calling this series through First Peter, Passing Through. Now, what does that mean? Like, well, like when I go with Lori and we go down to Indiana County to her parents' farm, we have to pass through several places on the way. So we pass through Curry Run, we pass through Mahaffey, McGee's Mills, we pass through Hudson, and then we pass through Punxsy. That's the worst place to pass through is Punxsy. And then uh, then we go from there and we pass through uh, different little places as we get our way over to Smicksburg. And so we understand passing through because that just means you're there temporarily, Right? You're there to, the only reason why you would stop is if you had, you got thirsty or needed gas or you need to use the bathroom. And really what we're talking about here is, is that you and I as believers, we're passing through in this life. Now that's going to be a new concept for some of you because in your mind, life is right here. Life is my job. Life is my family. Life is my homestead, my house. And what I'm doing to make sure and everything. Life is here, but I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, I guess in a way that is true, but it's not true. Because you're only here for a moment. I, I was I was talking with one of my children the other day about a situation, and we were talking about somebody trying to build a legacy for themselves, a Christian leader, and and, and I, I was I was kind of reflecting on that, and I thought, well, you know, in the end, that's ultimately meaningless. Because no matter what we build here, the Bible tells me one day it all is going to get burned up. Do you know what I'm saying? It's all going to get burned up. Now, all right, so I know some spouses are, well, you know what, George, that is not the thing to tell my husband because I want him to take care of this room with a new paint job or a new whatever, and he's just going to say, George says it's all going to burn up, so why should we bother? That's not what I'm talking about, folks, okay? But what I am talking about is where your focus is. And you need to have a focus that's beyond here. That means you got to hold on, which is the second part of what this series is called, holding on loosely to this world. you got to hold on loosely to things. Our tendency is we want to hold on to it really strongly. Oh, no, George, I hold on to all things loosely. Really? Really wonderful? Well, how did you react the last time something was broke in your house? Or when the neighbor backed into your car and this, that, or another. How did you react to that? Because that reaction tells whether or not you are holding on to it loosely or whether you're holding on to it rather strongly. The Bible calls you and I to hold on to things loosely. And that's really what we're going to see as we go through First Peter. Now, First Peter, though, starts off in order to hold on to things loosely, you have to have an understanding of who you are. You have to understand what Jesus did for you. You have to understand the person that you are now in Christ. And sadly, I, I, I want to just point it out to you, a lot of believers don't know that. In fact, a lot of believers really live crippled. 
And I think that's, I, I thought about that word as I was thinking about this sermon. I chose it on purpose because a lot of you are crippled. And I, and I hate to say this because it just occurred to me. Some of you are crippled because of churches that you went to maybe earlier in your life or were in before. What, what do you mean, George? Well, I'll explain that in a moment because sometimes church can cripple you. Why? Well, here's the first point I want you to see under the issue of being crippled. Many Christ followers are crippled by past failures and sins. Now, do you understand what I mean by crippled? Many Christ followers, that's followers of Jesus, are crippled by past failures and sins. Now, do you understand what I mean by that sometimes church church can provide an atmosphere where you feel crippled? What do you mean? Well, you know what, folks? I've, I've been a believer now. 1985 is when I got saved. So 33 years I've been a believer now. When I first got saved, I, you know, I first I got saved through a ministry that was affiliated with Bob Jones University, and it was an independent Baptist ministry, and I went to an independent Baptist church. And, you know, and I, and I have fond memories of that church when when I was younger, and being in that church, but I'm going to be honest with you, though, there there was a subtle, a subtle thing that was going on that was very damning. What was that? I hate to say it, there was a judgmental spirit. I hate to say that, that sometimes in our churches there's a judgmental spirit, and people can get crippled by that judgmental spirit because they feel like they can never live up to the expectations. And especially if you have a failure in your life. And especially if there's sin. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or am I just kind of talking out in the air here a little bit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Let me Raise your hand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. We're crippled. And I'm not just talking about, oh, my leg hurts so I can't walk really good. I'm talking about brutal crippling. You don't know what to do with your Christian life. You don't know how to live for God because you keep getting your shackled to some sort of thought about what I did or what I should have done or shouldn't have done. You're crippled. And we as Christians don't make that easy. And so people, I mean, you and I, I mean, think about it for a moment. How many people do you know that will not come to church simply because they had a negative experience in the past because they felt judged? You know what I'm talking about? And they won't darken the door of another church again because they feel like if I walk in there, I'm going to get reminded of a mistake. And I already know my mistake. Why do I need them to remind me of my mistake? We're crippled. And the sad thing is, here's the sad thing. The thoughts that cripple us, we think God sees us that way. We think that that's how God perceives you. And that he is, quote, 
just putting up with you. And so you come to church, and you give, and you volunteer, but you're almost like, why? Why bother? Why bother? Because that's the Christian thing to do. Here's my second point. I gave it to you last week. It is the same point again this week. I need you to grasp this reality. You will never rise above the perception of yourself. You will never rise above your perception of yourself. You've got to understand that. So if you're here and you're crippled by some past failure or some sin issue in your life and you believe that God sees you that way and you believe that that uh, that's how the church sees you and that you know it's like you know so like why even bother why even bother because you know I'm just a failure I'm a red-headed stepchild but you know what I'm talking about I'm going to tell you right now, nothing could be farther from the truth. You are living a lie. Can I say that again? If you are crippled here today, you are living a lie. And it is my task today as your pastor to try to show you what the Bible says about that great name that we sang about about what he did for you and continues to do for you and the identity that he gives you now. You want to study it with me? We want to know it, right? Because we don't want to be crippled. So let me read you the passage. First Peter, we're going to start with verse 3. We're just going to read three verses today, 3, 4, and 5. And there's so much here that you've got to grasp. And hopefully today it will free you. Here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, what I'm going to share with you today, I just simply have entitled it, God's grace to you. God's grace to you. And what we're going to see here is six things that come out of these three verses. Six things that I hope will help you to realize that you are not crippled. That you need to change your perception of yourself. That you are something so much more because of Jesus. So let's look at it. It's very, very beginning. Verse three, just that one little phrase there says so much. Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. That right there, just right there, first thing I want to show you is this. God has abundant mercy towards us. God has abundant 
mercy towards us. Okay, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. I want somebody honest to tell me. Do you have a limit with people? Yeah. Yeah. You, I have a limit with people. <laughs> I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, no, George, I'm spiritual. I don't have those kind of limits. Really? I saw how you reacted at Walmart. <laughs> you did not see me. No, but the camera there did. We have limits with people as far as the stuff they do, right? Because we're human. All right, let me just stop for a moment. That's because we're human. God the Father is not human. He created humanity. God the Father is not sinful. God the Father is perfect. God the Father is perfect love and perfect justice. He's perfect in every sense of the word. But here's the one thing the Bible says to me. He has abundant Mercy. Now that word abundant kind of has the connotation there that it's overflowing. Hey, do you have overflowing love for everybody? No. God does for you. In fact, and let's bring it down to your level so you understand. I want you to think back to the last thing that you messed up with with God. You know what it is. Because you remember it. You're haunted by it. You're crippled by it. The Word of God says that He has abundant, abundant, overflowing mercy towards you in spite of that. Is that not awesome? I mean, think for a moment. I mean, think for a moment. I think you know what this feels like because I, I experience it. You may end up hurting somebody. Sometimes you don't even realize it. You end up hurting somebody and they are like, I mean, they are like done with you. And you go to them and you ask them for forgiveness. A lot of times we don't really know if they accepted it or not. Isn't that true? And we live with the regrets all the time. Oh, you know, so-and-so. And you're like, yeah, I am so sorry about 10 years ago. You're still remembering it like it was yesterday. Why? Because we're human. I'm going to st- listen to me. You do the same things to God, but when God says, I forgive you, it's what? It's done. And he continues to show grace to you. In fact, remember my favorite psalm, I've told you Psalm 37, verse 23, 24. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, though he yet stumble, he will not utterly be cast down. Why? Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. God's even helping you get up from this thing you just did. Isn't that mercy? So the first thing, God has abundant mercy towards us. Here's the second one. Look with me. Verse 3. Who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Has begotten us again. Now where have I heard that said before? I think I've heard that in the Gospel of John. 
when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. That's what begotten means. It means to be born. And so Peter is kind of repeating that here to us, and he's saying about a rebirth. And so here's the second thing. God allows us to be reborn into a new life. If you come to Jesus and you come to him in embracing salvation by faith, I'm telling you, he has reborn you. He's, he's given birth to you again. He's made you a new person. You have a new life in him. You need to grasp that. Because part of the reason why you're crippled is because the thing that's crippling you is just something that's left over from the old life. And so here's what goes through the thought process. I know because I deal with these. You're no different than you used to be. Why would God use you? Here. That's a lie. Because when I came to Jesus Christ, when you came to Jesus Christ, by faith, you were reborn. You were born again. And when you were born again, he gave you a what? A new life. I'm not talking to the old you. I'm talking to the new you. And does the new you mess up? Yes. Does the new you sin? Yes. The Bible even assumes that. Why? First John chapter 2, my little children, I write unto you that you sin not, but if you sin. Now why would he say that? Why would he say, don't sin, but if you do, because he knows you're going to what? You're going to sin. And then he says, you have an advocate. You shouldn't be crippled. God has allowed us to be born again to a new life. Here's the third thing. The basis of the new life is the living hope we have through Jesus. The basis of the new life is the living hope we have through Jesus. All right, now I want you to hear me, okay? This is what it means to have that living hope through Jesus and the resurrection. Here's what it means. Okay, so we've all acknowledged that we sin, right? We've all acknowledged that. Uh, it's it's we only got we only got 20 more minutes, folks. Okay, so we all acknowledge it, right? Okay. I know how it is. It wears on you. And especially if you're trying to overcome it. And you wonder, and you wonder, am I ever going to overcome this issue? Am I ever going to find the victory? 
I mean, I read about the victory, and I hear testimonies about the victory, and I hear about this person, and he did this, and he's totally free from it, and, and but I'm still struggling. Is it possible? I'm telling you it is. Because the whole basis of the new life you have is that you have a living hope. What is the living hope, George? The living hope is this, folks. That while it is hard here and there are battles here and we may fail in our battles here, there is going to come a time one day in the future when the battle will be over because we go to be with Jesus. And when I wake up and look into the eyes of the Savior, and when you wake up and look into the eyes of the Savior, there will be no more bad thoughts. There will be no more temptations. There will be such a freedom like we have never experienced before because the body that so leads us to its corruptible desires will be gone because why? I'll have a new body that's incorruptible. Isn't that a hope? Do you understand what I'm saying? You know what? I, you know what? I, in my earlier years as a Christian, I listened to a lot of Southern gospel music and I listened to them, you know, in their, you know, their quartet sound, talking about the streets of gold and talking about being in heaven and the mansion and all of that. And, you know, that's wonderful. But you know what? Can I be honest with you? That's trivial. Why? Because obviously God sees gold like asphalt. He's using it to pave his roads. That's not what's important. Do you know what I'm saying? I haven't seen any of you walking around with an asphalt ring on. That would be ugly, wouldn't it? God sees gold as asphalt. Why? Because that's not what we should be focusing on. What we should be focusing on is the freedom we'll have in Jesus. The victory that'll be there, that'll be over, the pain will be gone. You know, as I'm getting older, it's getting harder to get up in the morning. It'll be gone. That's our hope. Listen, listen to me. Not just what we face in our own personal struggles with our own lives, but how about, how about the junk that happens when you get this bill that happens unexpectedly and somebody does back into your car and all of a sudden you might have to pay something for that. And, and, and this happens and that happens and a doctor gives you this report and a doctor tells you about this loved one who's struggling here and the prognosis isn't good and you're like, does it end? Does it end? Does it end? Well, if you're holding on loosely when you're passing through, you know that you've been given a new life and you have a hope of something better. Don't be crippled. Don't be crippled. Here's the next one. It kind of fits with that whole hope thing. It, we see it there in, in verse 5, who, excuse me, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Here's the next point. Through this new life, we have a future inheritance that is prepared for you. 
You've got a future inheritance. You know, it's interesting. Paul will say in his, his epistle that the eye has not seen, nor the ear heard, what awaits those who trust Jesus. You think it's so wonderful here? I mean, it is wonderful here. Holy cow. You know, I'm, I, I grew up a lot of my years in South Carolina. I go home now to South Carolina and I look around and I just say, boy, this place is ugly. Scrub oaks, pine trees, flat and sand, ugly. But man, I come up here and you see the seasons we have. Well, we were having seasons at one time here. Yeah, and the beauty of what we have here and everything, but that's nothing compared to what God has for you. So hold on loosely. That's what he's saying here. Here's some more. Look with me. Verse 5. He says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, now the next point is very important if you're crippled here. Here's what it is. Because of the new life, God ensures the salvation of the Christ follower. Let me say that again. Because of the new life, the new life that we have in Jesus, God ensures the salvation of the Christ follower. Why would I say that? Look at what it says there. Verse 5, who are kept. Now, who is the who? That's you and I. We are kept, not by our own power. Okay, so, okay, all right, so hold on a second. I want you to grasp what I'm going to say to you. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. Do you grasp it? So you came to Jesus. Why is it that we come to Jesus and we we come to him by faith, and this is where churches come and cripple us, is we come to him by faith and we know, Lord, it's nothing I can do for this salvation. I come to you by faith. But as soon as we get saved, somebody's telling us, well, this is what you got to do. 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 And it's almost like you got to do it to keep it. They won't say that to you, but it's almost like that because if you don't keep it, then there's something wrong with you and God doesn't accept you anymore. And guess what? You end up being crippled, right? Isn't that the pattern? Okay, so what I'm trying to say to you here is is that Peter is saying to you that the God who has abundant mercy has given you a new life through the rebirth who's given you hope, who's given you an inheritance, and who now says to you, I'm keeping you by my power, not yours. Because you can't. Isn't that right? You can't. If you couldn't do it for salvation, what makes you think that you could do it to keep it? You can't. All right, so stop for a moment. Here you are, you're crippled. Oh, he can't use me, he can't use me. I'm just a failure, I'm a failure. Really? 
You were a failure before you got saved. And he still chose you. And still saved you. Do you think he changed in his attitude from when he first saw you to now? Do you think he was surprised? Oh, 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 George. Oh, come on, George. When I worked in your life, I had no clue that you were going to do that. Really? God had no clue what my sins were in the future? He died for them in the future, didn't he? Sins past, present, and future, right? I like to say that God, God's plan for you already includes your mess-ups. Isn't that true? Because of the new life, God ensures the salvation of the Christ follower. So then, here's the final point that comes right out of the same verse. God keeps the Christ follower until salvation is fully experienced. Now see, this is where we get hung up because we don't understand. Why is he keeping me? He's keeping me so that I will fully experience salvation. And when does that happen? When Jesus comes. And part of that is because we're ignorant. And I was ignorant for a long time. Because here's the reality. The Bible describes salvation not just at the moment when you came to Christ by faith. The Bible describes salvation as ongoing in your life right now. That's called sanctification where he makes you like Christ, and that's why Paul would say, work out your salvation. But it also says that I will fully experience salvation when I go to be with Jesus. And he releases me from this body of sin and gives me a new body. And I'll be glorified. It's a process. And so this is what God is saying to you. God is saying to you, I have chosen you. I have saved you. You have responded to me by faith. And I'm going to keep you until I see my work completed in you. Isn't it interesting? Isn't that what Paul says? He who has begun a good work will, what, continue it until the day of Christ? Okay, so, all right, let's wrap it up. Are you ready to kill the lie? Are you hearing me? Are you ready to kill the lie? What lie, George? The lie that you have been telling yourself that you can't do anything because of who you did and what you are and a failure and all of this stuff, blah, 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 okay? Are you ready to kill that lie? You've got to be. Because the only way that you're going to hold on loosely in this world is to understand who you really are. And remember what I said to you earlier. You cannot rise above your perception of yourself. So you ready to go to the next level? Tired of living where you're living as far as your perception of yourself and how you think God sees you and what the church may be said about you or what people in church may be said about you and blah, blah, blah. Are you ready to move on? Are you? Okay. Then embrace the truth. Embrace the truth.